0: Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege and blessing to be able to sing your praises, to declare your excellencies, to exalt your son Jesus. Thank you. And Lord, I thank you that we have a privilege now to be in your word, and I pray you would prepare our hearts, that they would be receptive, that we would understand what you intended so that we would... Follow your son, Jesus, and obey him, and that uh, he would be glorified and exalted. Father, we ask you to bless your word as it goes out, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think if you were to ask anybody uh, if they wanted to know what was going to happen in the future, they'd probably say yes. Um, I think each and every one of us wants to know what might happen in the future, and sometimes we have wishful thinking, we have plans, we have uh, things that might happen. We can kind of sort of think this might happen, but the reality is only God knows what's going to happen in the future. And for us as believers, we are blessed because although the future for this world temporally is not that good, the future for believers is wonderful. And so God has given us an understanding of what will happen to those who've trusted in Christ versus those who have rejected Christ. And God's a gracious God to convict everyone with the gospel that they might hear and respond and and trust in Christ, but he's also a righteous God who will judge sin if you you reject that. Now, we've been studying the book of 2 Thessalonians, and the Thessalonian church was a very young church. And the Apostle Paul has been sharing with them, as they suffered deep persecution, uh, what was going to happen uh, in the future, and that future related to, ultimately, those who opposed the Lord and would be destroyed. Now today we're going to see what happens when the church is taken up by the Lord, and we're going to see the ultimate sign of the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment and wrath upon the earth, when the lawless one is revealed. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and this whole chapter is a unit. We've already done two sermons in it, so it's hard to, to, to share it accurately and completely in one sit-down. And so today as I go through it, there's going to be a lot of information that I've shared in the other sermons already that I'm not going to share in depth, and you might go, whoa, what's going on here? Just sit and ask God to help you understand what He wants you to understand Don't get caught up in wondering, oh, he's saying this and that. It's actually not that difficult, uh, but there's a lot of information that can get us distracted. So just keep that in mind. There's two sermons before this out on the table there that give more detail into a lot in what I'll refer to today. But today we're going to see really the ultimate sign of the day of the Lord. Now, I've mentioned already Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. This is the church in Thessalonica. Uh, We saw in 1 Thessalonians that they turned to God from idols. They were idol worshipers. They were pagans. And they heard the gospel and it worked in their hearts. And they turned to God from their idolatry and their sin to be saved. And it says in chapter one that they turn to be saved and then to wait for Jesus, uh, his son, God's son, who delivers us from the wrath to come to serve him and to wait. When we get saved, we get saved to serve a good God rather than the sin we've served all our lives. And so they were waiting and yet they were going through difficulties. When you come to Jesus Christ, if someone says, hey, come to Jesus, and he will fix everything in your life. No, no, that's not true. Jesus said himself, count the cost. Count the cost. There's a cost. If you come to Christ now, you're going to have all kinds of trouble in this life. But you will have eternal life and you will not pay for your sins because Jesus paid for them. And so there are the temporal sufferings for the glories to follow. And so these Thessalonians, they turned to Christ. They believed in him. And we see in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul had to defend, this is chapter 2 of First Thessalonians, he had to defend himself from the false teachers who were trying to discredit him. But he praised God because they received the word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. And we saw that the Apostle Paul was driven out of Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, he was driven out by the Jews who were hostile to the gospel and hostile to Christ that he was concerned about this new church. Where were they at in relationship to Christ? So he sent Timothy to check in on them, to see how their faith was. And he got a report back that they were doing well. They were trusting the Lord and they were loving one another. True, genuine evidence of salvation. They'd been truly changed. And so the Apostle Paul wrote that first letter of Thessalonians to them in response. And he cleared up some questions for them concerning the coming of Christ and concerning the day of the Lord. And how they are to sell still more in loving one another. And then, just a little bit later than that, he had to write them again. And that's what we're in right now, 2 Thessalonians. This church is less than a year old in the faith. And they are being told truth that is, is, is very strong and very clear. And Paul's going to remind them today, hey, I already told you about that when I was with you for three weeks. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Spirit of God and thus the ability to understand the Word of God. The reason why people who name the name of Christ after 30, 40 years don't seem to know the Word of God is one, either they got sin in their lives that they're not dealing with, or uh, they never truly came to faith, so they're still in their sins. But for true believers, we can respond and we can know the truth of God. So Paul writes this second letter to them, and he wants to encourage them. And we see that in chapter one, that they're suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted heavily. And there were false teachers as we'll see today who had come and said, hey, the day of the Lord's come. You're in God's wrath and fury for sin. Well, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. We were told back in first Thessalonians that we were going to be delivered from that to be with Jesus. And then God would pour out his wrath on the earth for its sin. So Paul wants to encourage them that what they've heard is not true and encourage them with the truth that they would stand firm in that truth. And that's what this is about but yet within this he's going to explain something concerning the day of the lord that the day of the lord the day of god's wrath upon this world can't come unless two things happen first and he's going to explain what those things are and that's what we're going to get in today we're going to the main sign of that which is the lawless one revealed which is the the beast the antichrist uh all all the same names we're going to look at that today but we don't look at that to get enthralled by the future of, of this wickedness. We look at it to see that God is going to bring an end to his temporal uh, exaltation. He's going to bring an end to it because he's going to judge the world and those who follow and still love their sins. So with that in mind, we're going to see what's going to happen after the church is taken out and the world goes into this time. Now you might remember, we looked at this already, so I'm going to review it, and I'm going to go through it fast, so you get the CDs if you need to, two CDs out there, but verse 1. Now we request, chapter 2, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter from... A letter, as if from us, to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. The Apostle Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God built the foundation of the church on Christ as a cornerstone. And the apostles bringing forth the word of God. And yet at that time there were false teachers and there were false apostles. And there were false prophets bringing false messages. Nothing's different these days. There are false churches out there who twist the word to their own destruction. There are bad guys out there who lessen the word of God, who who who, who do train you to lean on your own understanding and to trust in the world's ways. We're not to lean on our own understanding. We're to never uh, fall into the, the trap of being entangled by the ABCs of the world. We're not to do so. The world functions one way. The world says, This is the way it is. God says, This is the way it is. So then, he says here in verse 1 Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. He has a request, and the quest is in regards to the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. And we saw that that's speaking of the rapture, what we call the rapture. It's called the harpazo. You see, what's going to happen next for the church is Christ is going to come, First Thessalonians chapter 4. He's going to come, and those who have died, their spirits will come with them, and they will be raised. You can look at 1 Thessalonians 4. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. He's going to take us to the place that he's prepared, John chapter 16, or 14. He says, if I go, I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. He says, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places he's going to prepare a place for us. That's in heaven, not here. And so he's coming, our gathering to him. You see, the Thessalonians, we're awaiting that. And we should be awaiting that too. We should be awaiting Christ coming to take us out of this terrible world. Yes, we are here right now and we're serving the Lord. But it is a sinful, fallen, wicked world with the evil one as the God of this world. And we want the Lord to come. Come, Lord Jesus. And within that... We're waiting for that. But some false teachers had come along and they had said basically, guess what Thessalonians? Your suffering is so bad, you're in the day of the Lord, which means you missed Christ coming. You see how upsetting that is? If you're waiting for Christ to come to deliver you from this, and then this happens. And so we have this here. He says, he says with request of, uh let me get my page here. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Let no one shake you up. It hasn't happened. He's going to explain why certain things have to come to happen for that day to come. Certain things have to happen. You see, the reality is Christ is going to come for us and take the church. But then there's going to be, as we've talked about, that tribulation period. I talked about it last week, shared all the scriptures. Seven years, which begins with the Antichrist uh, making a deal with Israel. You can look at that, Daniel. And the last portion, the great tribulation, the last three and a half years in which the Lord Jesus spoke of. And so he says, hey, don't be shaken by these bad guys who are bringing a false message. They're bringing a false message. Let no one deceive you. We saw that word meant be wholly deceived, be completely deceived. And you know what he says here? He says, let no one deceive you. And look at verse 3. For it, the day of the Lord, we talked about that, it's the day of God's wrath on this earth. Guess what? People say, why isn't God dealing with sin? How, what happens here? All these people get away with all this stuff. God's patient. God's patient. If he dealt with sin, he'd have to take you right now and punish you if you're not saved. And he's waiting. He's patient for you to repent. But there will be a day when he does come. Yahweh's day, the day of the Lord. And he's going to bring about his wrath upon this earth for its sin. And these Thessalonians thought they were in it. But Paul says, no, two things have to happen. Before that's there, and they haven't happened, so you're not in it. And that's what he's explaining, and that's what this passage is about. And within this passage, we learn about the day of the Lord, which we will not go through, but we learn about the future. We learn about it. He says, verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That's the first thing. And the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, we see, is revealed here. That's what we're going to see. He says, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Two things. We saw it already. We've already gone through this, so I'm rushing through it. Apostasy means falling away, a defection. To apostatize means you have to have claimed to follow Jesus. You said, yes, I believe. But you really didn't believe. And things happen, and eventually you go, forget it. I don't believe. That's apostatizing. That's turning away. And in Hebrews chapter Uh, 5 and 6, we see that it is impossible for those who fall away to be renewed to repentance. Because they've already heard the truth. There's nothing else that can save them. Only Christ can save them. And so we have the first thing. This apostasy must come. Now we see apostasy in little bits, all right now. People who name the name of Christ but turn away. They never really truly were saved. They've apostatized. But here he talks about the apostasy in the big sense. The wholesale turning of those who name Christ, who really aren't saved, away from Christ. This day isn't going to come until they've turned. Until the apostasy has come. The apostasy has come. And then he says, The man of lawlessness is revealed. You won't be in the day of the Lord, and you can't, because the Lord's going to take you. But if it was, hypothetically, the man of lawlessness would have had to have been revealed. And he says, The son of destruction. We saw this. Lawlessness speaks of sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. This is the man of sin. It's a man being revealed. It's a human being. A created being. He's also called the son of destruction. In Scripture, when you hear son of something, it means there's a relationship to what the of is. Son of something, right? Son of destruction. The word destruction means utter waste. It's translated perdition perdition it's only they're used one other time of judas judas was the tool of satan to betray jesus and he was in the same 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 light this man who will come is the same thing the son of destruction it shows his spiritual origin jesus told the pharisees and the jews who didn't believe in him you are of your father the devil and you want to do the will of your father get your spiritual heritage you see, we were all of Satan without even understanding it when we were born. We're all of sin. But when we trust in Christ, we're delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so here we have this man of utter ruin, the son of utter ruin, destruction. Now, we went through a bunch of passages last time, and again, I'm not going to review them because there's not enough time, but this is the same person the Lord Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24:15. The abomination of desolation, which he referred to the book of Daniel, spoken of in by Daniel the prophet. The term abomination means detestable thing. He is the detestable thing that causes destruction. That's what the span is, the Antichrist. We saw in Daniel chapter 9 that the abomination of desolation, and that's the same thing, Antichrist, beast, uh, the, the, the uh, son of destruction, the man of lawlessness, same guy. Same guy. It's a man. We saw in Daniel chapter 9 that he would make a firm covenant with Israel in the last week of the 70 weeks of years which would begin that seven-year tribulation. That's why we call it a seven-year tribulation. When we're taken away the church, whoever didn't come to Christ, goes into this seven-year tribulation where the first three and a half years, this man has made a deal with Israel to let them sacrifice and do their thing, but yet there's all kinds of wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of stuff going on. But in the middle of that seven years, as we're going to see today, Satan gives him all his power. We'll see that. And he now is empowered by his power and authority. and He is the Antichrist and he has full reign for three and a half years. And the world follows him to their own destruction as we will see today. God's going to allow the world to get what it wants. And then he's going to destroy it because they have rejected Christ. They, have, they did not have a love of the truth so as to be saved. But they loved their sin instead. And that's what we're going to see. We see this Antichrist uh, is also spoken of in a sense of a leader of a kingdom in Daniel chapter two. Daniel shares with Nebuchadnezzar and his vision in Daniel two, the world superpower of the time that you're going to that him, including him and three more kingdoms to come. These are these four future kingdoms. We see in Daniel chapter seven in Daniel's vision of the four beasts, which helps us understand these kingdoms and their relationship to the Antichrist in the fourth. We see this abomination of desolation as the man who will be the leader of this final kingdom and he's going to take over those t- ten, he have be in charge of those ten kingdoms and pull three out and we see that in Daniel. Daniel 7.25, and he will speak against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in times in law and they will be given into his hand for time, times, and a half a time. Pretty scary stuff. That last three and a half years, Satan's going to have his way and his man's going to be completely in control. But there's something that restrains that right now. And we're going to see that. And because of that restraint, you Thessalonians cannot be in this horrible time. Because there's something holding that event and that person back. So he says, let no one deceive you. For it, the day of the Lord will not come, back, back in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And notice what we saw last time. Who opposes, verse 4, and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship. At this time, you got the apostasy. You've got everyone who's turned, and they don't claim to follow Jesus anymore, but they're worshiping all kinds of gods and all kinds of different things, Right? And you've got, during that seven years, there are a remnant that gets saved. There's a few small remnant that get saved. But you have this world that is ripe for for this Antichrist. And so he opposes himself and exalts himself above all the gods of the world. And he says here, so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself to be God. In the middle of the tribulation, we're going to see this today, the Antichrist declares himself to be God, and he seeks to get worship from everyone on the earth and we see that last three and a half years as the whole earth literally goes to hell before Christ comes, which we heard read about earlier, and delivers his people and destroys his enemies. So he takes his seat in the temple displaying himself as being God. This Antichrist, this man, is, is an opposite. he's an antichrist. He's going to portray himself as, in a sense, the Christ. But he's not. He's not. God took on human flesh. The Lord Jesus took on human flesh. This is a man empowered by Satan, a counterfeit, very fitting for the end and judgment of this world who has rejected Christ. So he takes his place in this temple, displaying himself to be God, and that's when God's judgment gets poured on full. And you can read Revelation. It gets poured on full on this earth. And they were unwilling to repent, by the way. Keep reading in there. God's judgment got hotter and hotter and hotter and worse and worse and worse. They still wouldn't repent. And then notice what he says. Paul says in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, you know where we are. Uh, Do you not remember while I was still with you I was telling you these things? This is an amazing statement. Paul came to Thessalonica and he was there three weeks. Shared the gospel, they got saved. And during that three weeks he's sharing this. He's sharing the truth about Christ and the future and what's going to happen. And they were eagerly awaiting Christ and they believed it. You see? He says, don't you remember? I already told you this stuff. Guys, don't get taken captive by those guys with the false letters and the dumb stuff. Don't, for us, don't go on TV and watch those prophecy shows and all that junk on TBN. Read the Bible and examine it with Scripture. Scripture with Scripture. So he says basically don 't you remember I told you don 't so quickly get shaken up uh, don 't be frightened in the midst of all your persecution you 're suffering greatly. The day of the Lord can 't come unless these things happen. but stand firm, verse fifteen as we 're going to see in Christ, and hold firm to the truth that you have already learned. Hold firm to it. So we come to our passage, long introduction, but uh, and needed. Come to our passage, verse six. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, him restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. If you came here today, this is a warning, by the way, as we read through this. And for this reason, God will send a deluding influence, send upon them a deluding influence that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. God gives them a chance to believe, but when you reject, he allows you to be deceived, as we're going to say. So then, notice, first of all, the Holy Spirit's restraint, I believe, will be removed when the church is raptured, taken up, that the lawless man will be revealed. That has to happen. That's why it hasn't happened yet. That's why the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. There's a restraining influence on the wickedness that would be come forth through this man. Verse 6, and you know what restrains and nice. And Thessalonians, you're less than a year old in the faith and you know this already. You already know this. There's some believers who've been in the faith for years and they couldn't tell you what this is. In the end of 1 Thessalonians, it says, read that Saul the brethren. We should know the word of God. We should know the word of God, not for pride, but for humility, to humbly serve the Lord in the context of his truth. He says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. This is the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Interesting statement. You guys know it already. You know, and this tense in Greek is, you've, now Greek's an interesting language, very vivid, God and his sovereignty brought forth the New Testament in Greek, which is very amazing, very vivid language. The term you know in Greek is literally this. You knew in the past, done deal, and you still know. You still know. You know what restrains him right now so that he won't be revealed now, but be revealed in his time. That's what he's talking about. He says, you know. He's not, now he's not saying, you, know, you could, you could parse this too much and think too deeply, which we do at times. He's not saying the man of lawlessness is alive throughout all time and all ages and he's just restraining, he's eventually going to be revealed. He's not saying that. He's saying the groundwork for the man that will be this man is being restrained right now, but at some point in the future it will be removed and then he'll be revealed. So what does he mean by this phrase, you know what restrains him now? It's in a neuter gender in Greek. It could speak of a person, could speak of a thing, could speak of uh, uh, different, you know, whatever that might be. And this has led lots of people to think, well, what restrains this Antichrist right now? Could it be governments? That's one of the answers. Government restrains him right now. He can't do what he would do. That's possible. That's possible. Yet I believe, and there's a lot of other interpretations, I believe they fall flat when you actually just read the text and you actually just read on. It's amazing how many people give interpretations and they share it with people and they say, this is what this means. And the people just take it and they don't read the next verse. We need to read the next verse. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he may be revealed. For, this is an explanation, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, now it becomes masculine, He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It's a person that restrains this evil influence, this framework that the Antichrist will be able to flourish in. The term restrains means to be held back, to be restrained, restrained. The one restraining must have been restraining in Paul's day at that point, right? You know who's restraining, right? And he's going to restrain until the day of the Lord, which has not happened yet even for us. We're going to be taken before that. So it can't be a human being because it's over all that time. It has to be God, as we're going to see. God is the one who is restraining this. But how is he restraining? And how could God be taken out of the way? We know God is omnipresent. Well, I think the answer comes, and it's pretty clear when we think about the context here. Look at verse 7. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The term taken out of the way could be literally translated until he is from the midst. Sounds like the rapture to me, to tell you right now. Sounds very clear. And they know it already. The Thessalonians, you know already. You already know the Thessalonians. Basically, you know who restrains him. I think it's pretty clear the only possible interpretation that really truly fulfills the scripture here is i believe the church you see the church is indwelt by the spirit of god when you believe in jesus this is a mystery that was not revealed before but now has come forth when you pl- trust in Jesus Christ, God gives you his very spirit to indwell you forever. And it is a pledge of the very inheritance of the final job and salvation. You receive God in a sense that God's going to finish the job. It's amazing. And he says he will be with you forever. Jesus says I'm going, but I'm going to send someone a comforter. He's going to be with you forever. And so I believe the church indwelt with the Spirit of God, is the only possibility of something that could be, how God could be removed. And it fits exactly in the context here. God is restraining the the, the framework for evil to flourish to the point where the Antichrist could flourish. He's restraining it through the church, through believers on this earth, by the Spirit of God. I believe that's what it is. He says, and you know what restrains it. Now, you know Thessalonians, you know what it is so that in his time he may be revealed. You see, in his time, that restraint won't be there. And then he'll be revealed. So Paul also gives a very interesting statement here also. Notice this, verse 6. And you know what restrains him. Now you know Thessalonians, it's the church. It's the spirit of God through the church. So that in his time he may be revealed. But notice this explanation. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the midst, taken away. Do you see that? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Very interesting statement. The term mystery in Greek doesn't mean what we think of mystery. We think of mysterious. The term mystery was a word used that spoke of something that was hidden, that was not revealed. It even spoke of those mystery religions where they had these truths within them, they weren't truths, they were falsehoods, but there were these, these things that were not revealed, but only to the initiated, in a sense. It's something that's there, but isn't revealed completely yet. He says, the mystery, this which is unknown to some, is already at work. The literally working, it's working right now. What's lawlessness? Lawlessness is sin. Remember, the man here is called the man of lawlessness. And the principle behind this man is already at work. You already know it. You already know it. Right now, the very wickedness Satan is bringing forth in the world is a very small picture of the for- and a foreshadowing of the intense wickedness that will happen when the lawless one is revealed. It's already working. Just watch the news, Right? Lawlessness is already at work. The underlying spiritual wickedness is already in the world and it's moving towards a point in which restraint is removed that this man could take his place and declare himself to be God and the world would follow him unto their own judgment. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. It's already at work. So notice we saw this last time also, but... Everywhere we see this man, this Antichrist being spoken of, right next door is his destruction. We saw it in Daniel. We see it in Revelation. God speaks about him, but right next door, you've got to know, he's not going to get away with it. And the same thing in our passage. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, interjects this in verse 8, that we would know that what he's talking about, not going to get away with it. Verse 8, And then that lawless one will be revealed, that's when the restraints removed, whom the Lord will slay is not this great with the breath of His mouth and bring an end, bring an end uh, by, bring to an end by the, His appearing of His coming. Hey, lost ones, going to come out. It's going to be seven years, three and a half, the last worst part. But when Christ comes, He's going to slay with him with the with His breath of His mouth. We'll talk about that and bring an end to him. He's not going to get away with anything. Don't freak out about the Antichrist. His very short days are numbered. You see, he will be revealed and he will make a deal with Israel and allow them to start sacrificing. But he won't have full power at that time in the middle of the tribulation. Satan's going to give him his power. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And he's going to go full force, declare himself to be God. And then he's going to be destroyed when Jesus comes. Ben read this earlier in Matthew 19. Let's read it. This is what he's talking about. When Jesus comes, he's going to be destroyed. And it's metaphoric. The sword of his mouth. All the Lord has to say is say the word and he's done. Say the word he's done. Remember, everything was created through the Lord Jesus. Light be and light was. When the Lord Jesus speaks, he does. It, it happens. Revelation 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. Amen. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. By the way, Jesus came in his first coming not to judge. He said, I didn't come to judge, but to bring salvation. Jesus didn't judge anyone. He brought salvation. But if you reject him in his second coming, he's coming to judge and wage war against those who have rejected him, as we'll see today. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and his name written upon him, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, when our Savior spilt his blood for us. And his name is called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word came and dwelt among us, took on flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. And his name is the Word of God. And the armies, which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white, clean, were following him on white horses. You see, they didn't even have to do any battle. He's in the front, and he's going to do it himself, right? They're following him. And and from his mouth comes a sword, a sharp sword. This is what our passage is talking about so that he may smite the nations and he will rule over them with a rod of iron as he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. God is mad at sin. Don't take sin lightly. You think you sit it up? God's mad at it. So mad he sent his son to die for our sins, by the way. But he loves us too. He says here, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe, on his thigh, were written his name... He has a name written, king of kings and lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, come assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the guy, that's the bad guy. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. could have tried to fight the Lord, right? Good, good luck. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. We're going to see that in a minute. And those who had worshipped the image. And the two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. The Lord's going to slam with the sword of His mouth. Don't get caught up in thinking Satan's going to get away with anything. That this Antichrist is going to get away with anything? Not at all. God is actually going to use him to accomplish His purpose, to allow His judgment to come upon those who rejected Christ. That's what it's about. As we're going to see, notice we're going to see the, the 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 power behind this lawless one and his purpose. Look at verse nine, going back to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse, verse 8. And I'm going to do this. And it, they then, then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. When Christ comes again, he's the lawless one's dust. And now you have an explanation. That is, speaking of the lawless one, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved i told you today it's a serious message the lord has brought you today this is a serious message and i don't want one person here who isn't saved to leave here without trusting in christ you may think you know christ maybe you're on your deathbed you may think you know him, but trust in the Lord. Believe in him. Get your sins forgiven before it's too late. Before it's too late. You don't want to be standing before him saying, "Give me uh, water for the for my tongue. I'm in agony because of this flame." Send someone to tell my brothers about this place. You don't want to be doing that. So here we have an explanation. His coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. The term activity, operative power of Satan. Satan's going to give him all his operative power for those last three and a half years. And notice what precipitates that. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. We talked about this before. We're going to see a scene in heaven. Isn't this you, you get, We don't get to see this stuff, but we see it in Scripture. It's amazing. A scene in heaven. And this happens in the middle of the tribulation that's seven years before jesus comes in the middle right in the middle and it precipitates this man getting all of satan's power you'll see what happens to cause this to happen revelation seven twelve 12 or 7 excuse me 12 or 7 and there was war in heaven michael and his angels michael's the head angel and uh we and his angels waging war with the dragon and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. We know initially the dragon, when he fell, Satan fell, he took a third of the angels. And we know he comes came to earth, fell to earth, but yet he has access. Job, he comes up, presents himself, accuses the brethren day and night. But that's going to be taken away. And I heard, a fa- uh, it says, the serpent of old, the devil... And Satan, the great—excuse me, verse nine. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. <laughs> he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were, his angels were thrown with him. Down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, "Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of, of our God and the authority of His Christ have come." I think drink water here, folks. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, that's those who were accused, (coughs) overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. That would be us if you're a believer. We'll be there at this time. Well, well, maybe we'll look at each other and remember this day, right? And we'll be praising God for what he's doing, because it came true, which all will. Who, woe to the earth and the sea. Notice this, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that his time, that, that he has only a short time. This is what precipitates Satan giving this Antichrist all his power. Look at chapter 13. Chapter 13. Notice we have the beast introduced here, and that's the part of Revelation. Revelation twelve, Satan introduced a relationship to Israel and and Jesus. Chapter 13, the beast introduced. Okay, that's the theme of Revelation here. Verse 13. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. That's the beast. And notice he's coming out of the sea. That's a prophetic uh, reality like Daniel shares. He's a Gentile. And I think the false prophet's a Jew, but the beast is going to be a Gentile, the Antichrist. And he says, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and his heads were blasphemous things. i going through a lot. Don't worry about it. We've talked about it. You can get the CD. It's just talking about that he is basically intri- intricately aligned with Satan and the kingdoms that Satan has uh, had forever not forever but since the since he uh, became the god of this world after falling you can look at revelation 12:3 and then chapter 17 of revelation and then notice he says and verse two and the beast which i saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like a the mouth of a lion this 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 description mirrors daniel's prophecy in chapter 7 and it reveals that the final beast is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, is like the four previous kingdoms. Okay, then a second half, verse 2. And the dragon, this is what I want to get to, gave him all his power, his throne, and great authority. This is where the Antichrist gets all of Satan's power, authority, and throne. This is when he declares himself to be God in the temple. This is when all hell literally breaks loose. This is when the man of lawlessness is fully revealed, fully revealed. And keep reading. And I saw one of his head that could be a kingdom that he he did or it could be him as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. Evidently, we have uh, him appearing to be slain or, you know, and having a false resurrection, right? And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Worship's just giving them an exaltation, by the way. Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? And there was given a mouth to him speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given. That's three and a half years And so here we have, in the middle of the tribulation, the beast is given all Satan's power and authority, and God is going to allow him to have his way for three and a half years so that it will accomplish God's purposes. Even the beast's wickedness will accomplish God's purposes. Look at verse 6. And he opened his mouth and blasphemes against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle that is those who dwell in heaven. His tabernacle, That's that's who he dwells, the church, right? Those in heaven, right? And it was given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. Bad time. If you know this and you were told as the Thessalonians, you're going through this, you'd be going, "Oh, we don't want to go through that." Right? They're not. And so he says here, authority over every tribe, people, and tongue, nation was given to him, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who is slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined to captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So they're going to be deceived by lying signs and wonders. And look at it. Then there's an, a, a false prophet, which aids the beast in these flying signs, which we're going to see in our passage. Look at verse 9 of Revelation 13. That is the one who's coming in accord with back in our passage. Excuse me. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, science, one, and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness of wickedness. Let me go back. Your finger back in thirteen. I wanted to read this portion also in Revelation thirteen. Verse 11, and I saw another beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like the dragon. This is the false prophet, by the way, the beast's little right-hand man, okay? Revelation 13:12. now. And he exercises all the authority of the fourth beast in his presence. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs. Here you go. This is what our pastor's talking about so that he makes fire come down out of heaven to earth in the presence of men. Remember, Satan's got power. You know, Not everything that happens is God's drink. He allows it. Remember the book of Job? Uh, Satan brought a wind that crushed the house that killed Job's family. That was Satan that did that, by the way. And so he says here, and performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of what? The signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling all who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, who had the wound of the sword, and has come to life, and there will be given to him, and there will be given to him, to give breath to the image. This image is going to come alive. These signs and wonders. This is a, a time of total deception. And he says, image of the beast. And that image of the beast might even speak and cause many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all the small and great, the rich and poor, and the free and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy and sell except the one who has the mark either in the name of the beast or the the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. Back in our passage again, it says that he's going to do, he's going to be given the operative power of Satan. Operative power of Satan with lying signs and wonders. Lying signs and wonders. It's very interesting. With Satan's operative power, he's going to have with all power, that's dunamas. Uh, that word is translated miracles in other places, by the way. Powers. Um, signs. Those are signs showing something to point somebody to something. And wonders. Here it says false wonders. And it's interesting. These three words, powers or miracles, signs, and wonders, are affirming a counterfeit antichrist with counterfeit signs. Remember what affirmed Jesus? The true signs, wonders and miracles. Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by, by God by miracles, same thing, powers, wonders, and signs. There's going to be a false attesting to this anti-Christ, and people are going to buy in to it. We see this with this beast. We saw it with, that, with the image coming alive and speaking and all that stuff, which you just read in chapter 13. And so back in our passage, verse 9, that is the one who's coming is in accord with the operative power. That's what that word activity means of Satan. With all power, or even says miracle, you could translate that miracles, signs, and false wonders. And then notice verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness. His deceptive wicked coming. People are going to be deceived and they're going to follow to their judgment. The whole world apart from a remnant that gets saved and many of them get slaughtered, by the way. Remnant that gets saved. The world is ripe for its being led to its final destination, which is hell. So he says here, and with all the deception of wickedness, verse 10, for those who, what? What? perish why do they perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved the term perish is used in scripture often it speaks of being utterly ruined or being destroyed it points to destruction that will come through the judgment and eternal judgment that comes from christ for people's sins if you reject christ you will die in your sins you will pay the penalty in eternity you will perish You will perish. But you're going to perish of your own volition. You're going to perish because you chose to perish. And there's no time in eternity that you could say that it wasn't your own fault. Because he says here, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. This is an interesting because in Greek. A lot of because is in Greek, different words. This one has an extra sense to it that means because and in return. It actually adds that in. It's the same word that's used when the angel speaks to Zechariah in Luke one twenty when he reproves him and says, because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute. In return for that, you're going to be mute, Zechariah. So that in our passage, in return for not receiving the love of the truth so as to be saved... You're going on to your eternal damnation. You see, he's talking about reception of the gospel, the truth concerning Jesus who died for our sins and rose from the dead, Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. You see, they rejected the truth, and instead of accepting it in their heart and loving it and believing it, they didn't believe. Notice this term, receive the love of the truth, is in parallel with believing. Look at verse 11. And for this reason, God will send a deluding upon them, a deluding influence, so they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who, what? Did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in righteous wickedness. You see, the truth is the wages of sin is death. The truth is, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. He is declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent. That's the truth. And he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. He bore our sins in his body on the cross in our place. And when you believe in Christ, which means you need to believe you're sinful and need a savior, and you call upon him, you will be saved. But if you reject that, then this is your destiny. Because you love wickedness. So in our passage, it's a scary thing, by the way, the Bible makes it clear that people get convicted and they choose not to believe. And then God allows them to be hardened. And if you're that way and you're hardened today, I'd be praying, Lord God, unharden my heart so that I would not sit through this and not be saved. Let me share a few passages 1 Corinthians chapter 118, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. But to those being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, but in the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Paul says in the terms of the gospel going out, we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Hey, what we share, it's, it's life. But he says, among those, and among those who are perishing, he says, to the one, the aroma of death to death, and the aroma of life to life. It's life to one, death to the other. When you hear this gospel today, you reject it. It's the fragrance of death. It's the smell of death for your eternity. Don't. Don't hold off. Don't don't harden your heart. One last passage. It should scare you to death. Kids should scare you too if you don't know Christ. And even if our gospel is veiled, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, It is veiled to those who are perishing. To whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That they might not see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. When you reject Christ, when you're being convicted, you're being being convicted. You reject that. You don't trust in Christ. God allows you to be blinded. And you're on your way. You're on your way to your judgment. Don't do it. Pray, help me to, to not be hardened. Help me not to go. I guarantee you'll be reminded of this day in in eternity if you're in your sins, as you heard the gospel. So verse 11, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God allow this man to be empowered and to put, take, take all that authority for those three and a half years? Why would he do that? Verse 11, and for this reason... God will send a deluding influence upon a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. This is the reason. This is the reason. He's going to allow the earth to get to that point. He's going to remove his restraint. The gospel has been going out through the church. He's going to remove that restraint. He's going to allow the man of lawlessness to be revealed and then lead the world in total. To its judgment. And then Christ will come, slay his enemies, and establish his kingdom on earth. For this reason, God will send a deluding influence. Because they didn't receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That they might believe what is false. God's gracious. The Lord Jesus was in Israel for three and a half years. He was there for three years ministering. Well, he's in there obviously his whole life, but he's ministering for three years. And Israel had a chance to respond. They heard the truth, but then they hardened their hearts. They closed their ears. And so God veiled it from them so that they would go to their judgment. One last passage, turn to Matthew 13. You see, Jesus, all of a sudden, had been, he'd been speaking clearly about the kingdom for years. Then all of a sudden, he starts speaking in parables. Now, the false teachers will say, oh, he's giving stories so they'll understand better. No, that's not true. He's sharing to hide the truth so that people who have rejected him would go to their judgment. Matthew 13:10. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? What, what's, why the change? It's been three years. He's been speaking clearly to them. And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In whose case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing but will not understand and you will keep on seeing but will not perceive listen why here's the reason why for the heart of this people has become dull and their ears have scarce they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return it means repent and i heal them But blessed are your eyes, because they see and your ears, because they hear. God allows you to be hardened and deceived to your own destruction. And the world as a whole will go that way. And that's the day of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, Thessalonians, you're not going through that. Don't let anyone deceive you. That's not going to happen unless this guy's revealed and all this happens. And that's not happened. And what he wants them to do is stand firm, to stand firm in the word, to hold firm so they don't get ta- taken captives. Look at that verse 15 of Second Thessalonians 2. So then, brethren, stand firm. Hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letter from us. Hold to the word of God. God's going to judge sin. And if you have rejected and not believed the truth, he's going to allow you to be hardened unto your judgment. And if you're saying, ah, whatever, you know, right now, and you're hardened right now, I'd be praying, oh, God, please break my hard heart. Please till the soil. Help me believe. Help me in my unbelief before it's too late. This may be the last opportunity. You may die tonight. This may be your last day on this earth appointed man wants to die and then the judgment it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're in a position today to cry out to God to lift the veil, do so. lift the veil from my eyes, help me see my sin so I would believe. Well what about us for believers? Remember these Thessalonians were on the verge of, of being taken captive by false teachers. They were on the verge of being shaken up and disturbed in their difficulties because someone was twisting the word of God. We need to hold firm to the truth so that we are not taken captive in the midst of the difficulties that we go through as believers for Jesus Christ. Hold to the truth. Don't believe lies. We're not destined for wrath, but for salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And there's not a soul here today who hasn't heard the gospel. There's not a soul here today that has an excuse for not believing. I pray that not one non-believer here today would leave with a hard heart. I pray that one non-deceived, that no deceived make-believers would leave here with hard hearts. That each would cry out, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Save me. And Lord, for us, I pray that we would be encouraged that we're not destined for wrath, that this day of wrath is not for us, that you, Father, are sending your Son, Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. Help us to eagerly serve you and wait for our Savior to come for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.